Well, it's not every Sunday morning that for just a few minutes that those leading our deaf ministry gets to actually turn around and watch (laughs) as they lead us musically. Wonderful. You know, I, I saw a movie trailer recently, and you may have seen it. It's a movie trailer um, about a movie coming out this summer, and the movie is called Yesterday. And here's the plot of the movie. There's this struggling British singer-songwriter whose fortune really changes overnight. There's this worldwide incident, a power surge that affects the entire planet. So I guess the idea is something in the electro, electromagnetic field takes place. It's, it's holistic. It affects the entire earth. And while that is happening, though, this struggling songwriter is on his bicycle, and he gets hit by a vehicle, and he hits his head and goes unconscious for quite some time. Well, he comes out of his injury, and he regains his consciousness, and everyone, you know, he loses one of his teeth, and everyone has mercy on him, all his friends, and his girlfriend uh, gets him a new guitar. And he takes that guitar out of the case. He's so thankful for it. And he's there with his girlfriend and a few of their closest friends there on the beach. And he starts to play the Beatles song, Yesterday. And his girlfriend's taken aback and she said, when did you write that? He said, I didn't write that. You know, I don't have a British accent, but uh, Dr. Baxter does. But uh, he wrote that. He said, I didn't write it. Paul McCartney, the Beatles wrote it. And they're like, who is that? You don't know the Beatles? They said, no, we don't. And so then over the course of the movie, he's, he's with his family. He's on the piano and he starts playing the song, Let It Be. And, and they say, listen to the song that he's wrote. I said, what's it called? His mom said, oh, it's it's called Leave It Be. No, no, Let It Be. And and then um, no one believes that the Beatles wrote these songs because the Beatles don't exist in this universe, all right? And so this struggling singer-songwriter who cannot draw a crowd, who cannot support himself financially, goes on to be this worldwide musical Phenom because he is covering basically all of the Beatles' music and no one knows who the Beatles are. It's a, it was a really uh, humorous trailer. It got me interested, honestly, about the movie. I don't know how the movie ends up. No doubt there's issues with the girlfriend and how everything changes. I'm sure that's a typical, you know, story in a movie. You may wonder, why does that movie have anything to do with this sermon? Well, you're going to have to wait for that. You're going to have to wait until the very end of the sermon, and then I'll tie it all back together so you'll see why it matters. Today we're talking about our purpose on the earth. And we've looked at different classical elements over these past few weeks. We looked at fire, water, wind, and today we're going to look at earth. Earth is the final of the four elements, and it's the most massive of all the elements. It's true that much of the surface of the earth is covered with water, but under that water is earth. 
layer upon layer of earth. Under this building that we're in right now is layer upon layer of earth. The earth is the largest and the most foundational of all of these classical elements. It's the name that we give to our planet and the solar system. We live on planet earth. And the Bible begins this way in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's how the Bible begins. You see, everyone on the earth lives for a purpose, whether they realize it or not. All of us live for purpose. A person's understanding of their purpose is going to come from what's called their world view. A worldview is kind of like a, a set of glasses that you put on. We put glasses on, maybe sunglasses, because it's bright outside and it helps our eyes see despite the bright sunlight. Or maybe uh, your eyesight is not as good as it used to be and you have to put those reading glasses on to be able to read, to see clearly. Uh, Worldview is really the lens that we wear by which we understand reality, purpose, meaning, truth. Everyone has a worldview. And we'll see that our worldview will inform our purpose. Now, I want to begin by looking at just four worldview questions that every person must answer. First question is this. How did this world and everything in it begin? It's a question of origins. How did this world and everything in it begin? Number two. What is the root cause for what is wrong with this world? It doesn't take long on this planet to realize something's wrong. Something's wrong with this earth. What's the root cause of it? Three, what is the solution for what is wrong with this earth, this world we live in? What's going to solve the root problem and bring a solution? Four, How is this earth, how is this world going to end? Origin, problem, solution, ending. That's a worldview. And our answers to these questions, what we fill in the blanks here with these questions, our answers are elemental. They're foundational. They will shape the very direction and course of our lives. Because you see, if this world began solely because of natural causes, then one might think that what's wrong with the world is ignorance or a lack of true knowledge or understanding. And that if we can just learn more, achieve more, understand more, then we might be able to change the final outcome of this world. And that is a secular humanist or naturalistic worldview. Or if the world happened to begin by natural causes, and the real problem with the world is inequality due to wealth and the greed of the rich, then the solution might then be that the government redistributes all the wealth so the world will be a fair and just place. I've just stated a Marxist worldview. I could go on and on and talk about a Jewish worldview, an LGBT worldview, 
a Muslim worldview, a pantheistic worldview, even PETA, the people for the ethical treatment of animals, they have a worldview. I hope you see the point. There are many, many, many worldviews. But what does the Bible say about how we should understand, how we might interpret, how we might view the world? Well, there's really a theme verse this morning, and it's found in the book of Psalms, Psalm 24, verse 1. I'm going to read it twice during the message. Here's what this verse says. It talks about the element of the earth. The earth is the Lord's. You'll notice that Lord there is in all caps. That's the covenant name of God, Yahweh. You'll notice it has an apostrophe S. That's a possessive. So the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. So if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Acts. That's our second main passage is Acts 17. But here in Psalm 24, Scripture teaches us that God created the world, that God made the world, that God owns the world, and all that is within the world ultimately belongs to God. Psalm 24.1 declares this truth. The earth is God's, and all those, that's people, that's every creature. That's even the rocks, the earth. Everything here, and not just here really, but throughout the entire universe, belongs to God. That's the theme idea, that God owns the earth. God owns us as our creator and maker. Now look at Acts 17. Acts 17 is probably the Apostle Paul's most unique sermon that he preaches in his entire ministry that we have recorded in Scripture. Because Paul finds himself among people in Athens, Greece. And people would just gather, seeking new knowledge, new information. And Paul is so grieved by all the idolatry that he sees. He sees so many gods, so many graven images worshiping all these different things. And Paul is heartbroken because Paul knows the one true living God. He met the one true living God dramatically on the road to Damascus to persecute Christians when Jesus called his name. So Saul, Paul knew the Lord Jesus. And he knew that all these other worldviews weren't true. And he was so grieved by what he saw. And he goes to a public place and he begins to preach, to proclaim truth that he had been talking about there in the marketplace in Athens. Look at verse 24. I'm kind of starting at the very, almost the middle of his message to them. But he says, The God who made the world and everything in it. See how that ties with Psalm 24.1. That God made the world, he made everything in it. Keep going. Being Lord of heaven and earth, right? He created the heavens and the earth. That means he's sovereign over it. He's Lord over it. He's master over it. Let's keep going. Does not live in temples made by man. 
Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man on every nation of mankind to live on the, all the face of the earth. Notice this. Having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, yet he is actually not far from each one of us. Paul gives a little clue about our ultimate purpose on this planet, that we might seek to know God. But we find here a full agreement with Old Testament and New Testament that God made the heavens and the earth. Here in Acts 17, God specifically put us on this planet in this moment in time. You and I had absolutely no free will or choice about when or where we would live on this planet. Now, once you get born... We make decisions, perhaps our jobs might take us to different places, but where you began, the moment in time you were conceived in your mother's womb, all of that stuff, it was ordained by God. The Bible teaches this. The allotted periods, God has placed us here for such a time as this, both in time and in space. He's put us specifically here, right now. So what then might be a biblical worldview if the earth belongs to the Lord and the heavens belong to the Lord? If that is true, what then might the Bible tell us how we might understand our purpose, reality, and truth? Well, I want to share some answers to that. But first, I want to look at our memory verse for the month of March. Those verses are actually found in 2 Timothy 3. And these are very appropriate verses for this message, because if these verses are true, then we need to go to the Bible to understand our purpose. So let's say this together out loud. Say it with me. All Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. That is found in 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. If the Bible is God's inspired, his breathed out word, then we must submit to the truth of what God says to us in his word. Let's go back to our four worldview questions. That first question, everybody has to answer is how did this world and everything in it begin God created the heavens and the earth now not everyone believes that the Bible doesn't begin in such a way trying to prove this the Bible assumes this because it is true and it begins that way but there are proofs for God's creation I'm not going to get into those this morning. But the truth is this. As Bible-believing Christians, we believe God created all things. Second question. What is the root cause for what is wrong with the world? Answer. Human sinfulness and rebellion against God are the root 
cause? The answer to question two will depend upon the person's worldview. There are some worldviews that say the problem with the world is a religiously intolerant view of God. <laughs> that many would say that we hold to as gospel-centered, Bible-believing, Jesus is the only way Christians. So there's many different answers to question two. But the Bible teaches us that human sinfulness, human rebellion, is are the root of the causes of all that is wrong in this world. The Bible begins with creation, and then in Genesis chapter 3, we read about what's called the fall. The fall into sin with Adam and Eve in the garden. You go one chapter later, we read about the first murder recorded in Scripture with Cain killing his brother Abel. Doesn't take long. There's another murder that's talked about. Then you get to Genesis 6, and the world is terribly wicked and violent in every way. And God judges it with the flood. History is littered with terrible atrocities committed by people. The Holocaust, wars, murders, abuse. Just last Friday in New Zealand, an act of terror taking place against Muslims gathered for prayer in two different mosques. But such violence has become so commonplace, the Bible repeatedly, emphatically teaches that all of us, that includes you and that includes me, that we are sinners, unrighteous before a holy God who is holy, holy, holy that we worshiped and sang to earlier in this service. He is holy, holy, holy. We are not. Which brings us to question three. What is the solution? Well, I'll say this first. Romans 3.23, again, it's probably the most popular, most familiar verse that teaches the universality of our sinfulness. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and do you know what all means there in the Greek? It means all, all right? It means everybody. Exactly what it means. We all sinned. Number three, what is the solution for what is wrong with this world? Answer, Jesus Christ is the solution for the sin disease that all of us are infected with. Everything in the Bible is either pointing forward to Jesus in the Old Testament or focusing about Jesus and his life in the New Testament. And as we live our lives, we are all, as Christians, looking back to that life of Jesus on earth and what he did for us on the cross through his resurrection. We, we celebrate the Lord's Day on Sunday morning, because Jesus rose from the dead, we're still doing something thousands of years later that started because this man, Jesus Christ, died and rose from the dead. 1 Peter 3.18 says this. I could give you so many verses about how Jesus is our righteousness, how Jesus is the answer to all that's wrong with this world. It says, for Christ, that means Messiah or anointed one, also suffered once for sins, 
In just a moment, we'll have the Lord's Supper. Jesus Christ died one time. He's not being crucified again through the Lord's Supper. His sacrifice was once for all. He died for sins once for all. The righteous for the unrighteous. The righteous in that verse is Jesus. The unrighteous in that verse is us. That he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh and made alive in the spirit. If our purpose is to seek God or know God or be brought to God here, the only way it's going to happen is through Jesus and what he did for us. And it wasn't just that he died for our sins. He rose from the dead also to justify us, the Bible says. Without the resurrection, there would be no gospel. He had to rise from the dead to complete and finish what he started on the cross for us. So number four, how's this world going to end? How's it going to end? Well, last fall, we did a series on the Apostles' Creed, and we recited the answer in that Apostles' Creed series. Jesus will come again to judge the living and the dead. The Bible teaches the second coming of Jesus, not in just a few verses, but in many, many verses. Let's go back to Paul's sermon in Acts 17 because he mentions the judgment of Jesus in this sermon. We stopped in verse 27. Let's keep going Let's skip a few verses down to verse 30. Look there. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. God has fixed a day. He's fixed a day of judgment. It's called the day of the Lord all throughout the Bible. Read the book of Revelation. Read so many verses in the New Testament. Jesus Christ is coming again. There will be judgment. The sheep will be separated from the goats. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. And all things wrong with this earth will be made right because of Jesus Christ. So I've given you briefly... A biblical worldview. Let's drill down even more into this worldview and answer the question that the sermon is asking What is the purpose of our lives on this earth? Why are we here? Psalm 24, verse 1. The theme verse. Let's go back to it. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and all those who dwell therein. And if we have a biblical worldview, we'll realize that the crowning part of creation was humanity, male and female, made in the image of God. So what does God have to say about us? Look at Psalm 100, verse 3. This is the psalm of thanksgiving. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us. And we are His. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. The Bible does say that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. But more than that, the Bible refers to us as sheep. 
really not the nicest animal to compare us to. Sheep aren't very smart. Sheep get into all kinds of trouble. Sheep need a shepherd desperately. Or they'll never, ever find their way. But thanks be to God that we have a good shepherd. And his name is Jesus. The Lord is our shepherd. God has created us. He has placed us. He's placed you. And this time, in this place today... In your lifetime on this planet, though it will be brief compared to eternity, God has orchestrated it. God has placed you where you are. He's placed all of us. We are made in his image. We reflect him. We are like God, unlike any other creatures on the planet. We are his sheep. Here's, I guess, a summary statement for our purpose. God put us on this earth. To know him and glorify him forever. God put us on this earth to know him and glorify him forever. You may say, well, pastor, if that's the purpose, why have y'all been talking about the church's new purpose statement or mission statements that we exist to make disciples? I'll tell you why. When we make disciples. That means more and more people will come to know the one true God through Jesus Christ. And that means more and more people will glorify him and honor him and praise God for all eternity. That's why we make disciples on the earth, that God might be glorified, that he might be known, that Jesus may be proclaimed, that we might know God and glorify him forever. You may have heard of Augustine or Augustine of Hippo. He was one of the early church fathers. He had a devout Christian mother, but a very pagan father who who wanted nothing to do with Jesus or the church. Augustine was rebellious in his youth. He had a girlfriend who gave birth to his child out of wedlock. He joined an exotic eastern cult and ran away from home. This young man was brilliant in his mind, but he was held in bondage to sin, and he knew it. He was miserable. There was this longing, this stirring in his heart, no doubt fanned into flame by his devout mother praying for his salvation. The Bible says, not the Bible, but the story of history says that Augustine was was wrestling with the meaning and purpose of his life and is as if he heard children say, take up and read. Was it really children speaking? Was it an angel? Was it the voice of God? We don't know. But there he had a Greek New Testament with him as he was studying and seeking the Lord and he picked up that word of God and the scripture he read unlocked the key for him. And Augustine came to know the purpose for which he was created, to know God through faith in Jesus Christ. You may have read from his autobiography in school. His most famous work is called Confessions. 
in that book, he writes this. Great are you, O Lord, and greatly to be praised. Great is your power, and of your wisdom there is no end. And man, being part of your creation, desires to praise you. Man who bears about with him his mortality, the witness of his sin. Even the witness that you resist the proud. Yet man, this part of your creation, desires to praise you. He doesn't, say, he doesn't say that just Christians desire to praise you. He says, no, man. There's this universal longing to, to praise you. The Bible says that God has put eternity in our hearts. The fact is, everyone knows there really is this creator. But we suppress the truth of God. And we exchange that truth for a lie. And we're in bondage to our sins. He says, you move us to delight in praising you for you. Here's the statement. For you have made us for yourself, O Lord. And our hearts are restless until they find the rest in you. What a statement. Augustine has put his finger on the pulse of every person on this planet. Because we are restless. Restless. Until we find our rest in God. That's our purpose. To know God. To love Him. To glorify God. To enjoy God. To find our purpose and rest in the one true living God. He made this earth. We belong to Him. We exist for His glory. We are His special creations. Every human being has been made in the image of God. Male and female. It is as if. We are all individually songs that God has written. Now, I've probably written maybe five or six songs in my life. They're not very good. But those songs are very, very important to me. Because they came from my heart. They came from my mind. There were lyrics and there was music put together. Our incredible God has written billions of songs. Beautiful people from every nation, tribe, and tongue. Now let's go back to that movie I started with. The guy who sings the Beatles' best songs and everyone thinks he writes these songs. That's a fantasy. That's a movie. There is no world without the Beatles. This guy robs the Beatles of all their fame and glory that they deserved for writing their amazing songs. That guy took the credit and no one was there to call him out for what he had stolen. Here is our fundamental problem as humanity. We in our selfishness rob God of his glory. God is the one who gives us our lives, places us on the earth, has plans for us. We are the songs that God has written, but we steal the copyright. We make our lives all about us, what we want, our dreams, our hopes, our futures. We rob God of the glory due only to him. And in our pride, we think no one's going to call us out. But there is coming a day when Jesus will come again and he will call out all who've robbed the Lord of his glory. Isaiah 42 verse 8, the Lord says, I am the Lord. That is my name, my glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. I want to invite our 
deacons to take their positions for the Lord's Supper this morning. This morning, the call to the Lord's table is really a call to repent. A call to repent. To change our view. Because even as believers in Jesus Christ, we still breathe this air that we call planet Earth. We breathe We're tempted. We somehow think that it's really all about us and not all about the Lord. And I pray that's why you're here today, to be reminded that it really is all about Jesus, to know him, to love him, to glorify him, to find our purpose in him. Jesus says in John 17, 3, And this is eternal life, that they know you, the one true God, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That's the purpose. Eternal life is knowing Jesus. Knowing God, knowing the Lord for all eternity. Because it's from Jesus And in Jesus, that we find our very purpose for our existence on this earth and for all eternity. 